so much of it doesn't work, but eventually you'll start to see the little kernel of an idea emerging. And then as that emerges, you go after it and try different ways of doing the same thing or tweaking it until, again, as with acting and rehearsing, you end up in a far, far, far distant place to where you started. Welcome to the Photo Mentors podcast. Each episode, we speak to a photographer or filmmaker and find out the experiences and advice that make them who they are today. We do this by asking 10 key questions, the same questions to each guest every episode so that we can find out common themes and compare and contrast how different photographers and filmmakers go about their craft. That voice at the start of the show was this week's guest, landscape photographer Bill Ward. In 2015, Bill won the Adobe Award in the prestigious Landscape Photographer of the Year competition. He also won Best Seascape at the 2019 Scottish Landscape Photographer of the Year competition. And in fact, his landscape images regularly feature in the commended and nominated lists in competitions throughout the world. And of course, he has been published in numerous magazines. Bill loves to travel and is just as at home photographing in cities as he is on his beloved northeast coastline. And thankfully, Bill's day job gives him the chance to travel and explore new places. Although he may be familiar to most for appearing in over 400 episodes of Coronation Street and 300 episodes of Emmerdale, Bill loves being on stage and is often traveling with theatre productions around the UK. And of course, his camera comes with him wherever he goes. So, Bill, before we crack on with the deep and meaningful questions, we've got a few sort of getting to know you questions to start with. So can you tell us what was your first camera? Uh, my first camera was a Kodak Instamatic, uh, one of those ones that um, where it's got a, its own eyepiece off to the side of the camera. You don't see what the camera sees, basically. So what you see and what the camera sees, what's coming through the, the lens are two completely different things. So if you, so when you kind of took the picture and you lined them up, what you'd end up with on the back of the film was completely different to uh, what you uh, saw through the eyepiece. But I enjoyed it. It was great. Things have moved on a bit since then. So you're leaving the house now. What camera and lens? You're only allowed one lens. What's going to be your choice of camera and lens? I would probably be taking a Pentax K12, which is the Pentax full frame camera and a long lens probably at the moment, 55-300 PLM, 55-300. Um, sort of going out with a camera during lockdown, what I've been doing is I've been doing a multiple exposure project in our local park um and uh and i've been doing a multiple exposure project on the trees and that i've kind of tended to find that that's the best lens to go to go out with and particularly if you know if you're out with the kids or whatever and uh you've kind of got uh about 45 minutes to take some pictures so uh, uh you, you've got to make the best of it yep i like that feeling and what non-photographic items are in your camera bag well nothing really uh, would be my general thing. If I was, if it's not lockdown and I was properly out and about with a, you know, w with a backpack, I suppose, I would have some sandwiches in there and I would have uh, probably uh, those kind of cakey, bakey kind of bar things which have got fruit in and uh, that sort of it, it, it kind of Nutri-Grain thing or Go Ahead or other brands are available sort of uh, own label supermarket kind of stuff that kind of a thing uh, one, some of that really possibly some marathons uh, or, or they're not called that anymore are they Snickers it's showing my age since it's been called a marathon <laughs> yeah. it's showing your age there Bill yeah yeah about 20 years but yeah that kind of thing I, I tend when I go out I tend to go out early and stay out all day so I will have something to eat okay we're going with cakey bakey bars then Excellent. yeah that's it yeah very um, good and where's your favourite place to take photographs? You can take this as a like, specific location or you can take it more as a general kind of theme. Yeah, it, it, for me, it would be a general kind of a thing. And for me, it would be anywhere I've never been. And so I can't, I really like going places I've never been. One of the things, and uh, we'll, I suspect we might talk about it a bit later, is doing the job that I do for a living, the day job. Um, I tend to travel around quite a lot. And I love that part of it. And I take my camera everywhere I go with work. And uh, so, yeah, anywhere new 
Shocker the new, I, I love it. Um, I sort of, I did a lot of travelling when I was younger, and I took uh, a camera with me then, my first DSLR actually, or my first SLR, sorry, uh, which was a Practica MTL5B, uh, a beast of a camera, and uh, built like a tank. Uh, loved it, loved it, and uh, but yeah, so anywhere I've never been. Do you get a lot of times sort of when when you're away working, when you're off set? Is there a lot of time to be able to do that, um, you know, in terms of, and I guess linked in with that, does the time of day you go out taking photographs bother you, if you know what I mean? I know some people say oh, it's midday, I'm not going to bother going out in, in the harsh sunlight or whatever. It's that it's it's a really good question. That um, I mostly I know I've done a lot of telly, but I mostly do theatre, and particularly over the last ten years, I've mostly done theatre. Um, and when you're doing theatre, you actually have a surprising amount of downtime when you're touring. So I've done a lot of touring theatre in particularly in particular the last five years. Um, and when you're touring, you're probably your working days are Monday to Saturday. But shows wise, you've got uh, eight shows in a week. So you'll be doing you'll be working every night, Monday to Saturday, but you'll only be working two afternoons probably during that week, either Wednesday or Thursday and Saturday. So that gives you sort of certainly two or three afternoons to uh, to go out and uh, and get some pictures so so that's what i tend to do I, I, the the one time of day that is that is off limits when you're touring is early morning sunrises and that kind of thing because um generally i uh when you finish a show you're finishing sometime around 10:30 or 11 and then i will often go out and take pictures you've got a lot of adrenaline in your system and um and yeah, I, it, it's one of the ways that I do to kind of uh, to relax, really, and unwind uh, after a show. So I will often take a lot of pictures at night when I'm touring. But um, I generally have a thing, which is that theatre, you know, as and when it comes back. But theatre can be expensive. It's expensive to go and see. And, and from an acting point of view, you want to be at your very best every evening. So, you know, there are some, some evenings you're, you're going to be a bit rubbish. <laughs> but you're at least you're trying your best and uh and so i i i won't ever go out for longer than uh if i was going out in an afternoon i wouldn't go out for more than a couple of hours because you want to keep some energy back for the evening and and chuck everything at the show but i generally think as a general rule all hours of the day and night are in play and um and i very much do do that certainly when, I, when i'm touring and certainly when i'm not it if I'm not touring and I'm sort of going on a, a photographic trip of some kind, I'll go out very early in the morning, probably before sunrise, and I probably won't come back until it's well past um, sunset and uh, and it's pretty much dark. So, so I, all hours of the play, uh, sorry, all hours of the day are in play for me, I think, and um, and I, I try and use them as as best I can. Very important question up next: How many camera bags do you own? <laughs> Why do you want to know? I find, I find it, it's a, it's just very interesting because um, I know most photographers probably own more than that they'd admit to their kind of wives and family. Um, and, you know, yeah. occasionally good- you'll, you'll come through the, you come through the front door and is, is that another camera bag? Have you got, no, 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 this is another one. You haven't seen this one before. It's just, uh, it's just been in the car. Or- yeah, yeah. I, it, it, do, do you count, are you counting the ones that just have a camera in them? Do you know what I mean? The kind of the things that, uh, the padded ones that, you, yeah. you know, just cover up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so we're not going, pe- no pelly cases or anything hard. Yeah, we're, gonna, okay. we're going with like backpacks, sling oh, bags, shoulder yeah. bags. Has to be specifically for photography. So if you've got like a satchel yeah. that occasionally you'll chuck something in, then that doesn't yeah. count. Yeah, I'm interesting. I'm not really a satchel man, actually, in that kind of a way. I, I sort of um, so it's either big or small for me. And so I've got, I've got, I do have a backpack, uh, one of those kind of uh, I can't remember low pro jobs. Uh, I got it secondhand about ten years ago, and and it's terrific. It's one of those ones that opens on the inside of it, yeah. on the uh, yeah, which is great. And I've I've really enjoyed that. That's been a good bit of of kit. Um, 
but otherwise very functional for me and uh, I tend to buy things secondhand on eBay as cheap as I possibly can that kind of a thing and uh, but I don't I'm not a satchel man I've, I just the uh, the camera bags that cover the camera and uh, and occasionally if I'm out touring uh, on a play for instance what I'll do is I'll take the biggest uh, the the bigger one which would fit a camera and a long lens in but put in a camera with a shorter lens and then stick two other lenses in so I'm kind of traveling light and that'll be my kind of uh, my travel pack for uh, for when I'm touring and I can only take um, one kind of um, one kind of bag with me on tour so uh, so yeah so that's generally what I do but but in terms of number of bags yeah sort of five six seven something like that not loads uh, no that's I don't quite think it's quite conservative yeah. compared to some of the to be fair <laughs> a lot of the um, a lot of the other guys I've spoken to have been obviously people who have reviewed camera kits so Obviously, right. you start to get, you know, you get the you get the odd freebie and stuff, and the ones that are kind of on permanent loan and things like that. So the numbers have been quite high so far. So six is, I think, about the lowest so far. That's quite conservative. Yeah. Well, I'm a total cheapskate, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I have as few as I can get away with. eBay's great for looking for bits because you find people obviously get it's such a high turnover of some bits and pieces, and you can save yourself some serious money on on some stuff. Yeah, and particularly for those kind of things which haven't had, uh, you, you generally get a pretty good idea of the wear and tear it's had. You can see in the pictures, and it's not like a camera where you can't see inside the camera, and so you're not quite sure unless you specifically asked, uh, and unless you specific specifically ask how many shutter actuations it's had and that kind of a thing. With a camera bag, what you see is what you get, isn't it? And if if, if it's no good, it's still only you know ten or fifteen quid. So uh, so hopefully not a massive risky purchase. Let's crack on with the deep dive questions. Mm. So the first one: What photo have you taken that means the most to you? I think it is probably a photograph that I took of Dunstanborough Castle. I'm originally from the northeast. Uh, I'm from Newcastle upon Tyne. Um, I'm a, I, I am a Geordie. I'm a slightly posh one, but I am one, and I'm very proud of where I'm from. And um, and we used to go up the coast, uh, the Northumbrian coast, loads when I was a kid. Um, and uh, holidays and, and that kind of a thing. We used to spend a lot of time up there and uh, and I go back there now whenever I possibly can. It's very much my sort of spiritual homeland really and my photographic stomping ground. I mean, I mean you asked a question earlier which was favourite place to take photographs and, and, and I kind of said anywhere I haven't been before but I... I my other favourite place to take photographs is is the Northumbrian coast. It, it, it does it for me on a fairly epic scale, I have to say. And there is a feel to it. There is a there's a whole load of history there. Um, I've got a history degree, and 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 it's one of the things that tends to show up in my photography quite a lot. And um, and I I just but I also love the wild, the wide open spaces that you get. Uh, on all of the Northumbrian beaches, really, from uh, anywhere from Almouth up to, you know, uh, Holy Island and beyond. So, um, so yeah. So when I sort of started taking photographs properly, I suppose, which was at the end of two thousand and nine, basically, I had about three or four months uh, in between acting jobs, and I I was out. I'd been out shooting in. Um, Canada it was a really nice job out in Montreal and it was a pilot for a new kind of uh, TV show it was a kind of um, I don't know if for those of you of a certain age you might remember Dempsey and Makepeace with uh, Michael Brandon and Glynis Barber back in the day which was a UK TV show it was it was kind of that meets spooks and uh, and it was great and uh, and we were doing a pilot for it and um, and I had to wait I was contracted to wait at the end of the pilot to see if it went to series and so I had four months that were free and I kind of thought well what am I going to do with this time and so I, I gave I set myself a project I set myself a project to um, kind of chronicle or catalogue winter on the coast of the east 
of the UK, in the east of the UK, because that's where I've spent the most time. And uh, that's where I kind of thought I would like to spend more time, really, if I had three or four months. And I, I got lucky in that it was the coldest winter for about 29, 30 years. And it was brutal. It was vicious. Loads of snow and loads of snow on beaches, which is always interesting because it doesn't last very long because of the salt water, obviously, and uh, and the wet conditions. And and so this particular morning at Dunstanborough was um, Boxing Day morning, 2009. Um, I just bought my very first tripod. I just bought my very first DSLR for the project, um, which uh, or proper DSLR, which was a Pentax um, K20D, and uh, and I and I went to Dunstanborough, and I went to the boulders. Everyone sort of who knows Dunstanborough will probably know what I'm talking about, and um, and I got lucky on the way, which was on the way there was an unforecast snowstorm that came in. I went for dawn. Uh, which on Boxing Day is actually not that early, sort of 7.38ish. Um, but I was up sort of five-ish and out the door, sort of 5.36ish. Um, and, uh, and I just got lucky with the, with the snow and it, it was pretty hairy actually. A, a kind of a, a bit of a blizzard came in while I was on the way up. And then, uh, and when I got to Dunstanborough, there was, because it was Boxing Day, there was nobody else out. Um, there was an incoming tide. I was at the boulders and I have never seen Dunstanborough like that before or since. And I've been going there 40 or 50 years. Um, so yeah, that was very much my sort of my, the photograph really that, that, that meant the most to you because it, it was the first time that I'd taken a landscape photograph that I was proud of. And, uh, I, you know, it's the first time I properly used a tripod. It's the first time I properly used a digital SLR. And I, I got lots of really good stuff from it in terms of it was lovely to be in a part of the world that means a lot to me in pretty extraordinary conditions, really, um, with nobody else about. And, and also what's been interesting about that for me and, and, I tend to I do a fair few talks at camera clubs around the country, and one of the things I often talk about is um, not sort of ordering the weather to do what you would like it to do, because the weather is just going to do what it's going to do, whether it's forecast or not. Often, and and I guess for me, if I'd wanted to take a picture of Dunstanborough in the snow, I wouldn't have gone on this morning because the snow was unforecast. And I bumped into it en route and, and, and it was just magnificent when I got there. But it, it was a very salient lesson, very early doors for me about don't worry about the conditions, just go, just go, because you never know what you're going to find when you get there. That's something I can relate to quite well. But normally for me, it's mm. a case of I'm sitting there waiting for the light for 20 minutes and then <laughs> you just think, oh, you know what, it's not going to happen. And then you're in the car. And you just happen to glance out the window and then you do a double take and you realise kind of like the heavens have opened up and it's raining over there and the sun's low and hitting that cloud and you've got the most mm -hmm. magnificent golden sunrise. And then all of a sudden from having this beautifully composed shot 20 minutes earlier, you just find yourself pulled over in a lay-by, jumping out and forensically trying to cobble <laughs> your tripod together and something like that. Yeah. You're it's the stop the car moment. Yeah, there's a, there's a lesson. You haven't just uh, <laughs> always give yeah, it. Yeah, just go. Yeah, always go, and then just give it, it. Even when you think it isn't, just give it fifty. Wait till we get. Just stay there till it gets dark. Stay there till it gets dark. Then go home. Yeah, I, yeah. I because I I sort of generally have another thing really, which is is that um, some of the best photographs, some of the photographs that I love the most, have been taken in persistent rain, mm. in drizzle, in low cloud, in you, you know, and, and and it's you never know what you're going to bump into and it's just that thing isn't it of of every different kind of weather kind of pattern reveals something that you probably weren't expecting and in lots of ways photographically that can often be a very very good thing indeed let's go have a light-hearted one now so what has been your best photographic accessory purchase it's such a good question this uh i think probably and i was thinking about this I've, I've thought about this quite hard because <laughs> obviously there's quite a few, but um, but I suspect my best one is a totally accidental one, which f 
which I got. I, I, I did a lot of travelling when I was younger in my 20s. I sort of went around the world and took a truck from London to Kathmandu and and, and spent a lot of time travelling, which is really when I got the, the bug, essentially, to take pictures and, and a lot of them. And there's always an element of travel photography, I suspect, in the photographs that I take. But the I, part of what I, I took with me on that trip was a towel a travel towel and it's because when you're sort of going around the world for a year you haven't got space for a normal one you're taking a year's worth of clothes which is basically two sets of everything and that's your lot so and towels are big heavy bulky things so I got one of these kind of travel towels that are super light and uh, sort of uh, super absorbent and then when I finished traveling, I, I forgot about it. And I, I came across it about sort of four or five years ago and suddenly realized that it was actually really useful as a kind of thing for I take um, photographs in the rain quite a lot. I'm a, a big fan of, of, of wet weather just generally, really. And, and I suddenly realized it was a good bit of kit to take with me to kind of wipe down the camera. And then I kind of noticed that actually not only is it a travel towel, but it also doubles as a scarf. So I kind of, that's generally what I do is I go out with this kind of green sort of fluffy thing that is really that keeps me pretty warm until it gets very wet and then I use it to sort of wipe the camera down and then then also when you you know doing seascapes and I do a lot of seascapes that's really sort of my thing really and it, it's also a, a pretty handy for sticking in front of the camera lens when, when it's blowing a hoolie just before you trip the shutter so I'll I'll use it for that as well so it's one of those kind of uh, multi-dimensional, magnificent um, uh, inventions that has a, a purpose way beyond its original kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so that, that would be my, um, my uh, best photographic accessory purchase. That's a good one. I like that one. We're going to, um, I want to compile all of these into a, a big list at some point. It's going to look quite eclectic with some of the items that are on it. So what are you currently learning in photography or what was the last thing that you learned yeah good question and and actually for me what i've been learning recently and because we've been locked down for the last 2 months is how much i miss the sea how much i miss wide open spaces how much i miss mother nature really um and just uh, extreme weather and being out amongst it when it is brutal. And I haven't been to the sea for about three or four months um, and I miss it dreadfully. And I, I, you know, I'm doing lockdown projects and I'm pretty sure most photographers are doing whatever they can to get out with a camera as and when they're allowed and doing what they're allowed to do given the constraints that we're all under. But I only live 11 miles from the sea and I haven't been there for four months and uh, so that really is I, I'm sort of an out and out seascaper when I get the chance and um, and that I have really really missed and and that's what I've learned particularly and 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 also this time of year generally what I would be doing is Generally, in my line of work, I, I would have done a panto. I've done sort of pantos for the last sort of five years. And then what I often do is, is because pantos are pretty full on, they're magnificent things, they're great fun, but they're 12 shows in a week. So you're doing two shows a day, six days a week. And uh, and what I generally do is I'll give myself a bit of a rest afterwards and, uh, and take myself off somewhere. And uh, over the last few years, that will be um, up to the, the northwest coast of Scotland, um, up to the Outer Hebrides and do a big trip up there for a week in uh, in our camper van. And this year, obviously, I haven't been able to do that and I miss it and I miss it something dreadful. I, I, I kind of, I, I love reconnecting with, you know, big wide open spaces just and, and just Mother Nature in the raw, really, which you get a lot of on the west coast of all of the Hebrides. And um, so, yeah, so that really... How will you take that learning moving forward now, now that you've sort of realised how much that means to you? How do you think it's going to affect your year ahead? To get back there at the first opportunity that I can. 
is is and 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 it's a feeling isn't it and and you suddenly realize that it hasn't been satisfied and i you know do a lot of intentional camera movement work i do a lot of multiple exposures and um and those kind of things but it is still no substitute for the raw power of nature and so i as and when I get the chance and as and when, you know, we're allowed to travel and uh, I will be going as far as I can <laughs> for as long as I can uh, and to uh, to get some of it. I think there's a lot of photographers that uh, really yeah, appreciate yeah. and uh, have a lot of empathy for that feeling right now. Who or what has been the biggest influence on your photography? Yeah, it's it's another really good question, and um, and I've got a couple of answers to this, and and it's part of the the who part of it are are people who you you may expect, so the likes of Joe Cornish, who you know got me, who took photos of Northumberland, which is where I'm from, and. Um, and who and I sort of used to go to exhibitions that he did way, way, way back in the day before I sort of got a, a decent camera. I think he did he did he loads of work for the National Trust and he did a, a, a an exhibition called Coast, I think. And uh, and I, I've I've you know pretty much bought all of his books. And the same with David Ward, whose you know work is magnificent also. And 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 I love both both of them in their own different ways in a kind of um, big wide vistas versus you know um, uh, intimate landscapes in that kind of a way and but they just have a beautiful eye and a connection with their surroundings that is specific and unique and um, and they will always be for me sort of um, huge influences on 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 what I do um, and then also in the sort of in the creative photography realm, which I've been sort of part of, I suppose, now for the last 10 years or so, the I guess your holy trinity really of um, uh, of, of Chris Friel, Doug Chinnery and Valda Bailey, really. And I came across their work sort of 2011, 2012, and, um, and I'd never seen anything like it. And I've, and it was one of those things, one of those light bulb moments where you kind of go, this is magnificent. I, I was doing a lot of long exposures at the time and I loved that sense of movement that you get with intentional camera movement. No, no surprises there, the clues in the name. And, and, um, but I, but, but it's similar in, in that kind of a way to, uh, uh, long, long exposures. You're kind of aggregating time. You're kind of gathering up time and squishing it into a photograph. So in terms of the who, those are very much my, um, biggest influences, I, I would say. But in terms of the what, um, my work is actually a huge, um, part uh, of what I do and it's the reason why um, I, I am a landscape photographer in the first place as I was explaining earlier really and um, and for me it's very much a yin yang thing to go with the day job I love the energy around whether it's a a, a, a theatre or uh, a television set or a film set there is an energy there is a a, a, a sort of um, it's tangible a crackle of energy around it and we, you've got huge numbers of people beavering away often in in rooms without windows so very little natural light often whether you're um, particularly in television where you're on enclosed sets or whatever and and I love that kind of um, sense of energy but for me I, I, I'm a kind of um, uh, I, I need to balance that with something wholly different. And photography has been very much that thing for me over the last 10 years. The last thing you want to do if, if you work in, 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 in my kind of industry is get lost in showbiz. And, uh, and so for me, it, it's very much a yin yang thing. It's very much a kind of a rebalancing, a recalibration. And, and I kind of like to spend as much time just outside with Mother Nature meeting mother nature on her own terms 
And specifically, you won't find many pictures of people in any of my photographs, either because of the environment in which I spend most of my daytime waking hours when I'm working with a day job. I tend to go in completely the opposite direction um, when I have a camera. So I will go as far away from everybody else as I possibly can and just reconnect with, um, you know, planet Earth and, uh, and what's around me. What photographic technique you wish you'd have learned much earlier? Now, I've thought about this really hard. And, and the honest answer to this is none. Um, because the way I tend to take pictures is it's, they're sort of unashamedly emotional, really. And so I tend to be sort of emotionally led versus technically led. And what's tended to happen for me um, with photography is that if I felt a kind of a thing, then I've kind of tried to learn the technique to meet the feeling. And so for me, the technique has always been secondary to the primary gut instinct to take a picture like that or to express myself in, in that kind of a way. So in that kind of a sense, if the feeling comes first, then the technique comes second and is a is simply something you need to learn to express how you're feeling in the first place so for me I've never really felt like I wished I'd known something earlier because I've kind of picked stuff up as I've gone along as and when I felt the need to learn it if you see what I mean so particularly for creative photography and in, in, in camera multiple exposures uh, ICM I kind of I saw and 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 the work of um, Chris Friel, Doug Chinnery, Valder Bailey, and and read a lot of interviews with them, and sort of saw lots of things on YouTube and um, uh, about how they talked about it, and I, I really connected with with how they sort of talked about it emotionally, if you see what I mean, and so that for, as well as liked how it looked and so and, and so for me it's that way round and and uh I, I guess I've wondered every now and again if I might have bought a tripod earlier but I, I took loads of pictures traveling which I was really pleased with at the time and I and, and I couldn't have carried a tripod with me with one rucksack and no towel <laughs> you know that would be ridiculous so uh so no i sort of i tend to sort of learn techniques as i go along depending on 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 the kind of pictures that i feel like taking if you see what i mean what is your favorite photographic failure and what did you learn from it uh my latest one <laughs> always the latest one and uh i love failure 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 is brilliant uh, you know is part of success isn't it? It, it there is no success without failure and and particularly in my line of work um day job wise a rehearsal room is just uh, full of failure all of the time there is there's no getting away from it and and in in ex experimentation and uh, and I love that about about acting about what I do for a living is just the sheer experimentation of it the um, the trying stuff out let's see if this works if that doesn't work let's see if this works but what's really interesting is after a day's rehearsal and you know ninety of it has ninety percent of it hasn't worked there might be ten percent five percent that has and that's what you take forward to the next day Ch chuck away the rest don't worry about it move on to the next day and then if you keep doing that for a sort of two or three week rehearsal period where you end up is light years away from where you started and if you'd just gone in a straight line you would never have been able to get there so I kind of if I, I, I love failure because it, it, it's a very beautiful magnificent thing it's often very funny in my experience and uh, we, we, you'll, you'll try things that don't work and, and, and then you'll have a good laugh about it and I do I tend to do a similar thing with photography and one of the joys I think of DSLRs and digital photography is you get mistakes for free. They don't cost you anything at all, and um, and so I, I often try as make as uh, try and make as many of them as I possibly can because you, you there's 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 no downside. And uh, and one of the joys of of, of digital photography and, and creative photography is you can you get an instant response on the back of your camera as to to what it is that you've just done as as opposed to you know when Freeman Patterson was was doing multiple exposures and uh, intentional camera movement back in the day with film cameras, you know he was having to 
to wait two or three days or even longer to see the film developed. And we're so lucky now that you can see, you can, you know, do an outrageous movement with a camera and just immediately have a look. And, 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 and so much of it doesn't work, but eventually you'll start to see the little kernel of an idea emerging. And then as that emerges, you go after it and try different ways of doing the same thing or tweaking it until, again, as with acting and rehearsing, you end up in a far, far, far distant place to where you started. And But without all of the failure and all of the mistakes and all of the things that don't work in between, you couldn't have got there. What are you looking for when you're shooting, sort of particularly an ICM image or a multiple exposure? I guess something. It, yeah, I mean, I guess it counts yeah, particularly just for anything. ICM. But is it an yeah. aesthetic or is it a... Uh, no, an idea. What, what is it? For, for me, it's an idea, and 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 it's a, a something. It's something that reminds you of something else. Um, that whole minor white thing of, of we shoot things for what they are, but also for what else they are, and and it's that kind of sense of 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 what else is there here? What what could the idea? Here be I, I did a, a set of pictures on the Clifton Suspension Bridge here in Bristol, which is a set of ICM and multiple exposures of, of it, be, because it's such a magnificent bridge, and you kind of go, you know, how are there different ways of looking at this? What are the different ways of looking at this? What are the different ways of of coming at it? Is there a way of of coming at this which either I haven't done before, or I haven't seen before, or just a, a different way of, of of coming at the same thing, really? And um, and so you'll just try different stuff out, different hand movements, different exposure lengths, different number of I do all of my. Uh, multiple exposures in camera so um I, so just using all of those and and just playing around really until you see something start to emerge and there's one photograph that I took of it which I suddenly realized as I was doing it, 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 it um and it was just a specific camera movement uh, with on a very long for an ICM picture or relatively long about 8 7 or 8 seconds using a zoom lens of zooming in and out and which started to give um uh to highlight the press the the precipice of the Avon Gorge which is a very steep sided gorge over which the Clifton suspension bridge um is laid and and just there was just something I was doing that started to really highlight that feature and and I noticed it so I just kept on going down that route until I had something that um re- that, that that really picked that out if you see what I mean so so I'll often just start somewhere anywhere and then see what emerges and then go with it really that's my sort of general thing what has been your favorite photography project um, I, I tend to work in projects. So, and if I'm touring, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll just wander around for a bit and see what I bump into and then start doing a project on it. I, I did a project on concrete, um, the last time I was touring because I started, I suddenly started bumping into a lot of it and noticing it. And it's pretty fascinating stuff in terms of the, um, uh, the sediment that you'll get on it and the, and the, and the stains from water going down it and all of that kind of a thing. But I, I suppose my favorite project recently over the last sort of five years was, um, is mud. Um, and, uh, okay. uh which, yeah, which you may think, you know, not the most, uh, prepossessing subject for study. But one of the things we moved down here to Bristol, I'm talking to you from Bristol and, uh, and, uh, and we moved down here about seven, eight years ago now. And, um, and I'd been working up in Leeds at the time I was doing Emmerdale and I did that for sort of three, three and a half years. And that had been magnificent. Into photographically, I, I enjoyed the job immensely too, the day job. But photographically, magnificent because you, you've got Leeds is twenty minutes away from the Yorkshire Dales. Literally, you can be in the Yorkshire Dales in twenty minutes from Leeds. And I, the Yorkshire Dales was was a, a part of the world I'd never really spent any time in. I, I loved it. It was huge, massive, all sorts of nooks and crannies in there, as well as kind of great big, you know, hills and valleys and uh, water loads of water there um and so w- we'd moved down to bristol while i was doing that job 
And, and when I finished, I kind of went, right, let's sort of go and take lots of pictures around the local area. But what I was, I found myself doing was kind of going, well, this isn't like the Yorkshire Dales. And you kind of go, why aren't there massive hills there? Why aren't there massive waterfalls around Bristol? Why, you know, and kind of go, ah, drat, I can't take any of the pictures that I've gotten in my mind's eye. And then you kind of go, well, stop being an idiot. <laughs> What is there here? What is there a lot of? And then you kind of go, well, mud. There is loads of mud. And and that's what hits you around Bristol and the Bristol Channel is how much mud there is. It, it, there's a colossal amount. The River Avon is full of it. The Bristol Channel is full of it. And then you kind of go, well, actually, mud in its own way is fascinating because it's suspension of soil and sand and water, which means that um, A, it changes its form every time the tide comes in and goes out again. So it's always different every time you go and have a look at it, uh, wherever it is that you go and have a look at it. But also, interestingly, um, because it has such a large component of it is water, it also reflects all sorts of uh, interesting light from all sorts of interesting angles, depending on what is going on around it. So if you have a sunset and mud, you've got all sorts of interesting shapes and textures going on in the mud itself but gorgeous light as well and so I've kind of gone after mud I've been doing a big project on it last sort of six or seven years and uh, and I'm 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 not running out of uh, of of subjects yet it's I've loved it the the one drawback to it is it's muddy (laughs) (laughs) so you kind of it's messy stuff my goodness me you've got your towel though so you're fine yeah that's right exactly yeah, exactly. I'm I'm fully covered, but um, but it's great, 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 great fun, and uh, long may it continue. Excellent. So, one of your most recent projects as well was your Theatres in Danger project, which was obviously based around um, you know, the fact we're in lockdown, and a lot of entertainment venues around the country are obviously struggling without that source of income, um, and that's something mm-hmm. you you're working on as a sort of charitable fundraiser as well. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about that and how they can sort of help and how they can see the the book and the project? Yeah, well, the project itself is on my website. It's at www.billwardphotography.co.uk slash theatres in danger. And it's a a two part project. It's a book and it's prints. And, And basically, I have taken photographs of every building that I worked in over the last 10 years, ever since I've sort of had a proper grown-up camera. And uh, and I, I take my camera everywhere I go for work. So um, all sorts of theatres are part of the project. The idea came about because on March the 16th, um, this time last last year, as we all know, um, we uh, the Prime Minister gave a speech um, and shut the theatres uh, at sort of pretty much six o'clock that day. So at five o'clock, I was touring a show at the time um, uh, called the Glee Club for a brilliant theatre company called Out of Joint, who I'd been wanting to work with for twenty years. Magnificent theatre company who just do brave, relevant work. Uh, and the Glee Club was a beautiful show about miners who happened to sing close harmony. And uh, we just opened in Doncaster. We'd done a week in Theatre Cluid, uh in North Wales. And we suddenly realised at the end of that week that sold out shows on the Saturday where we should have had an audience of 750. We had about 100, 120 in the audience. And you kind of go, oh, my God, there's a big problem here. And so when the when the government shut the theatres, and they were absolutely right to do so, incidentally, I, I don't think anybody in my line of work thinks that was the wrong thing to do was absolutely the right thing to do but we at five o'clock we had a job and at six o'clock we didn't um and uh, and the theatres have been shut now for almost a year there's one or two that have been able to reopen but in a world of social distancing um theatres the, the the economics of of theatres makes reopening extraordinarily dif- difficult so even though for instance for instance that um, on may the 17th uh, 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 on the current timeline i think theatres will be allowed to reopen it in a socially distanced way what that means is that uh, essentially you've got a maximum 50% 
of uh, audience capacity in any given theatre allowed. But most plays require um, 60 or 70 percent, some 80 percent. A big musical requires 80 percent audience capacity to break even. Wow. So for most theatres, they won't be able to open without making a loss. And they can't afford to make a loss because the way um, austerity has hit theatres is most theatres don't get the kind of grants from uh, local councils that they used to. They still get a lot of grants from arts council uh, from the arts council a number of theatres. But for for most theatres, most of uh, the vast majority of their income comes from ticket sales. So it's, let's say eighty or ninety percent. So if you get rid of that, which most theatres have had to get rid of over the last year because they're not open then you've got you know a sector in real real trouble uh, it, having said that you know the cultural recovery fund has been the lifeline for the theatre and has kept them afloat over the last year but f- interestingly opening up will be just as perilous for theatres because there are costs involved with opening up they'll be running shows at losses um, and it, it will be a, a difficult and dangerous time for theatres as they open up so um, th- the project came about partly because I was involved in, in a show myself when uh, when the theatres were shut, but also when a lot of theatres, uh, and they took about sort of two or three weeks, started going dark all over the country, and when it became clear that they wouldn't be opening for a long time, and it also be, everyone knew the peril- in our business the perilous state they were all in, and uh, and how difficult it is for them to survive even when there are audiences around, uh, I started posting photographs to my Instagram feed uh, of theatres that I'd worked in and as previously discussed there's never any people in my pictures just because it's a yin-yang thing for me and um, so I'd taken loads of photographs of empty theatres and I kind of suddenly realised that they were quite apposite given what all of the theatres were going through at the time So I started posting them to my Instagram feed. Um, and a friend of mine, Matty Graham, uh, who you might know, Rich. Uh, met him is, on a couple of occasions, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, who's a journalist himself, a photojournalist, um, uh, uh, writes a lot, I know, for various photography magazines. And um, like me, is is a Pantax ambassador. I still am a Pantax ambassador, but um, in his, his case, he, he was for a number of years. Um, and uh, and he got in touch with me and, and said, "There's a there's a book idea in those photographs that you're posting." And I went, "Don't be ridiculous! <laughs> I've never written a book in my life. Don't be ridiculous. That's completely out of the question." And he went, "No, no, 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 no. There really is. And if you'd like, you know, I'll help you design it." And then. It it became an idea and I kind of thought, well, in that case, why don't I make it a fully charity project? Because theatres need help. My goodness me, they need help. And I, I come, I bump into so many people in my business who are desperate to do whatever they can to help theatres survive. It, it's, it's such an important part of our heritage, but also our kind of community really and one of the interesting things actually about being an actor is 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 that when the pandemic first happened i felt completely pointless just totally useless you know who needs actors when people are dying what's the point of being an actor and and, and um and and you, you know what people need at, at this at this at, at right at this moment are doctors nurses people who can look after people people who can make people well and um, but what is interesting, and that is still obviously the case. But what is interesting is about six months later, by the time we got to October and November, you suddenly realise, and and television stations had started to run out of things to put on television because nothing had been made in the intervening intervening period, and you suddenly realise that that there is a point to what we do in terms of living. People do need being to be entertained as well as just to live um and and it's the same with pubs it's the same with restaurants it's the same with music it's the same we we like to have a good time and so i've sort of been vaguely reassured over the last six months that actually what we do for a living is important um at some level it's not the most important but at some level you know giving people a bit of joy is 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 a useful thing to be doing um so yeah so that's where the 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 project came from and it just made perfect sense to me to 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 support one of the theatrical charities and the theatres trust 
all proceeds from the sale of the book that I put together and all of the prints that I've put together go to the Theatres Trust, who are the charity who look after theatres up and down the land and who are who've been helping them navigate their way through what has been a very tricky 12 months and will also be part of helping them navigate navigate their way out of it too in terms of um, getting the, themselves up and running helping them buy things like clear screens and hand gel and ventilation systems to make sure theatres are better ventilated for the future and all of those kind of things and the theatres trust are absolutely uh, a, a, a huge part of that. That's brilliant. I will, of course, make sure that link to um, to your website and to the project is in the description notes for this episode so people can go Thank and you. check it out and click the link. Okay, so what have you stopped doing and why? Uh, this is a lockdown-specific thing for me, and it's beating myself up. Um, and it's that thing, it's that thing that I think a lot of photographers have which is fear of missing out. It's that thing of looking out the window and seeing the mist rolling in and kind of going, oh my God, I need to be out there. I need to be taking photographs of this. This is gorgeous. This is glorious. And of course, in lockdown, you can't do that, particularly not if you're homeschooling like we have been yep. for a, a lot of last year. And it's that... that that kind of argument that you would generally be having yourself with yourself of, 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 you know, oh my God, these are kind of not once in a lifetime conditions, but the kind of conditions that don't happen very often. I must make the best of them. I must make the most of them. And it's that kind of a sense of, of, um, of, you know, of that sort of perfectionist streak that, again, I suspect a lot of it, it runs through a lot of photography and a lot of photographers, I suspect, of, of that sense of just trying to get, you know, make the best photographs that you can, really. And um, and so that I've, I've had to have a very long, hard talk with myself over the last year and just accept there are days when you can't go out and there are days when you won't be able to get this you know whatever glorious light show that mother nature happens to be putting on that particular day you can't do it you're doing you know zoom calls with um you, 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 you know Podcasters. various teaching <laughs> yes <laughs> sorry exactly. bill somewhere else you'd want to be yes yeah, yes <laughs> <laughs> have you seen uh, what the weather's like outside <laughs> yeah exactly so uh yeah so it's that kind of thing and just trying not to give myself a hard time about it and and hopefully that will be a learning going forward and just be a bit more grown up with myself and and uh, and yeah stop beating myself up a bit yeah that's a good one again i think there's a lot of photographers who can kind of relate to that right now and a lot of photographers who have had to adapt and yeah the light mm. might not always be good when you want to but all of a sudden you're you know i did the classic thing of i started taking pictures of the garden birds because i can't go out and take landscapes and right. try to set up another little project because you know can't leave the house yeah I've got to do something and it, i i taught myself to do starscapes which i've never done before yeah. and uh, and uh, from the back garden and you kind of and it was great fun actually and and if i hadn't had lockdown i would never have done it and yeah. so you kind of go, there's lots of things here that you, in lots of ways, it's an opportunity, not necessarily the one you might have wanted, but nevertheless, that is what it is. And uh, and you can use it as such, really. Yeah. What is the worst piece of photographic advice that you've ever heard? <laughs> it's such a good question, isn't it? There's loads of it. Um, oh, it's so tricky, this, because, you know, you don't want to slag anybody off or be nasty about anybody or <laughs> anything, really. But I kind of I generally have a thing about rules and I generally have a thing, particularly with photography and and um, and the whole rule of thirds thing and the whole and they, the idea that there could possibly be rules with photography at all. I just find the whole idea of of photography and rules just preposterous it, you know it's it's a it's like painting or or drawing or whatever it, it is part of the arts world and you know your damien hurst's you know your your um grayson perry's your um your banksies i'm not sure how many <laughs> rules they've ever followed in in that kind of a sense it's it's useful to know the rules sometimes but also never ever 
ever be afraid to break them. And, and I kind of, it was something that, um, I, I read Joe Cornish actually in, in an interview in, uh, on Landscape a while ago, a few years ago now, but he was talking about rules and rules of thirds, I think. And, and he was sort of saying, think of them less as rules and, 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 and more as, as, as kind of things that other photographers, uh, principles that other photographers have found useful. But it doesn't mean you have to, you, you know, find them useful. And and I, I always say, just take the photographs that you like. Um, take photographs that, that express what you want to express and, and say what you want to say. And don't worry too much about what everybody else might think of them because it, it starts as a personal thing, photography, I think. And, and, and if you're making yourself happy by taking the pictures um, that you want to take, then that's really very much first base and, and there is much to be applauded in that. Good one. I like the um, use of the word principles, photographer's principles. I think it's we, good. It's good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, something we should use going forward. Perhaps these are these are your Something that we should use going forward, perhaps, and say, you know, these are the principles behind it. These are, this, you know, this is the theory. This is why we do some things. Now, take that, run with it, do as you please. Yeah, totally do as you please. I, I, I'll often sort of, just to be obtuse, try and stick the horizon in a picture literally as close to the top of the picture as I can just Whoa, to see what hang I- on a second. That's taking it a bit too far. <laughs> Next thing you'll be telling me, you, you hold the camera at a slightly wonky angle so the water looks like it's pouring out the sea or something. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? Just yeah. to see what happens. It's that whole thing is you just just do what you want to do. When you're scrolling through Instagram and you're looking at landscapes, I think your eyes actually start to become accustomed to seeing thirds, that pitch, or, yeah. or, or halfway. You, you know, you see that the, the ground has to be make up one third of the image, then a bit of the horizon, mm. then you've got this cloud up in the top half of the image. And as you mm. scroll down, it's very much kind of paint by numbers. And you mm. stop. When all of a sudden you see that, hang on, that there's just a little bit of ground on there and the rest of it's sky yeah. or yeah. there's only a tiny bit of sky and that's like yeah. a little bit jarring. And yeah. that actually, or there's no horizon at all. Yeah. And yeah it yeah, just exactly grabs right. your attention yeah. very, very quickly. And, um, you know, when we are flooded with so many images, if your goal mm. is to get some attention and um, to your images and that probably a good way is to actually not to do what everybody else is doing. Um, mm. Learn those principles. Yeah, mix it up then, a bit. Yeah, yeah, learn how to break those rules and when to do it. Yeah, I, do you know, I used to work, work before I was an actor, I worked at um, uh, various advertising agencies for uh, for, for 10 years as uh, as an account director and as a strategic planner. And, and a lot of agencies will, will say that, sort of, you know, learn the principles, learn the rules, but never, ever be afraid to break them, ever. And in fact, there was one agency, I was just writing about it myself for a photography uh, magazine, um, the ICM, oh, I'll give it a quick plug if that's all right, uh, the ICM uh, photography magazine, uh, which is uh, quarterly and uh, and I think there is a new issue out at the beginning of March. Uh, but uh, there was one agency that I worked for, I didn't work for, but was very famous in the advertising in- industry called Howell Henry Chaldecott Lurie and uh, what they used to do uh, before they did any advertising campaign was look at what everybody else in the category so let's call it let's say it was cat food they would look at every but what everybody else in the category was doing and then just literally do the polar opposite just do something different and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't but it was always surprising and there's a lot to be said for that and and um, sometimes you can end up being a bit obtuse if you kind of go down that route but but you'll always learn something final question then what motivates you to keep taking photographs um it just makes me very happy i i love it i just love it 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 it, I love the the creativity of it, the the joy of it, the sort of um, of making and taking photographs. But I also like where it takes you. So I like being out in the rain. I like being in wide open spaces. I like being at the coast. I like being in. Um, you know, in in valleys next to waterfalls, next to, you know, in the middle of nowhere. I I love all of that. And so it's a lovely, for me, it's a nice mixture of both of those things, both going out um, and spending time 
you know, away from day job and everything and but but specifically spending it with with mother nature really and and I talk a lot about photo photography for me being much more about time than place and and that's specifically because of the day job that I do and so much of my time is spent in a very in a magnificent but very frenetic environment and what i'm looking for is something a yin yang thing a balancing to that so i just generally go as far away from everybody else as i possibly can and and just spend time on my own i'm not a big one for for uh, uh photographing with going out and taking pictures with other people really i it that's not um it's not a sociable thing for me it's very much about sort of reconnecting to mother nature reconnecting to planet earth and just kind of getting out and getting amongst it and um and i tend to talk about you know it's very much about for me it's about specifically how it felt to spend this particular time with this particular place it's about seeing what mother nature is doing on any given day seeing how i'm feeling on any given day and trying to find a meeting point between the two and and then kind of making it up a bit as you go along and and so I, i'm a big one for staying out all day i'm a big one for going out when it's drizzly when it's rainy when there's not much magic light around and and um and just seeing what happens and, and what's what one of the things that has been interesting for me is is that in my day job i'm not a big improviser I, I like a script I like to know what it is that I'm saying I like to learn it early I like to you know I, I like to have that kind of part of the job nailed down quite fast but in photography I like the opposite I like you know improvising I like making it up as I go along I like seeing what mother nature happens to be chucking out on any particular day at any particular time and trying to make something of it so I, lo I love that about photography which is whatever the conditions however you know, wherever it is that you find yourself, there will be something happening. And it it seems it's up to us as photographers to notice what that might be. That's brilliant. Lovely place to end this episode. Bill, thank you very much for taking some time out of your day to come on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Rich. It was great fun. Thank you for asking the questions. Thank you for asking me to do it. No one's ever asked me to do anything like this oh, really? before. So yeah so i've been it's well because i you know in my line of work it's um acting 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 and, and generally for me people just want to talk about the soaps that i've done i was particularly proud of myself that i've made it over an hour in now and i'm not even <laughs> mentioned coronation street <laughs> exactly so it, so it's great for me and uh so it, to get to talk about you know the the uh, other part of me is something I've never had the opportunity to do before so I've been so I'm very grateful thank you that's brilliant cheers Bill and that's it we've done another episode if you liked it then please hit subscribe and of course we will be back very soon with the next episode thanks for listening